Dear Father, we pray to you that you help us to understand this really important passage and that you help us to understand uh, what sin is all about and uh, how we can learn to overcome the sin. Pray for all these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, if you look at the garden, right? I'm sure most of you uh, don't have gardens. But if you look at the garden, uh, which is the plant which is the most successful plant in a garden? Think about it a second. What is the most successful growing plant in your garden? Which one? The weeds, right? Yeah, that's right. It's the weeds that are the most successful plant in your garden. Like, you know, you have tomatoes, potatoes, whatever. And they're so hard to grow. You know, you put fertilizer, you put water, the worms come and eat it, uh, the grasshoppers come and eat it. But the weeds, they don't need any fertilizer. They just grow anyway, right? And I think that as we look at today's passage, it's a bit like that. Uh, sin has come into the world and sin is a bit like a weed, isn't it? It's really hard to get rid of. It flourishes, it thrives, it grows, and all the good things are harder to grow. So it's easier to tell lies than the truth. Easier to hate and be to be and to be envious than to love and to forgive. Easier to be selfish than to be generous. Easier to be angry rather than to have peace. So what do we learn about how we have to deal with this thing? I think today's passage deals with that issue. Now last week we saw that sin came into the world. And sin uh, brought many things. Uh, sin was first up a doubt and distrust and ungratefulness towards God. Because God had placed Adam and Eve into a beautiful garden, the uh, garden called Eden, which was pleasure or luxurious. And yet they were ungrateful and distrustful and doubting of God, and they disobeyed God. Second thing was, sin was autonomy and independence from God. Right? Adam and Eve wanted to be like God, in the sense where they didn't want God to rule over them anymore, but they wanted to be their little gods. The third thing was, sin led to more sin. Right? Even after they sinned, Adam and Eve started to blame one another. They didn't want to take responsibility for their own sin. And the consequences of sin were very terrible. There was a lot of pain. Pain in childbirth for the woman, pain in work for the man. There was relationship distortion where man and woman would fight against one another. And there was spiritual distance between man and God because man was now cast out of the Garden of Eden. So in chapter 4, we ask ourselves, what happens now, right? Where does the story go from here? Uh, now that sin has come into the world, what will happen because of sin. Well, we look at uh, chapter 4. In the beginning, in verse 1 to 2, it looks pretty promising, right? Because uh, here we have uh, Adam and Eve, and they have a child. And even in verse 1, uh, we see that Eve gives thanks to God for the birth of the child. With the help of the Lord, I brought forth a man. And then, the situation doesn't seem so bad. They have Abel, who kept flocks, and Cain, who was a farmer. And even in verse 3, we see that Cain and Abel seemingly impulsively, out of their own instinct, decide to worship God. They're like two good boys, right? So one, the gardener, Cain, brought some fruit, and Abel brought some fat portions from the firstborn of his flock. But then the problem arises, right? And the problem is that God looks with favor on Abel's offering, but did not look with favor on Cain's offering. Now why was that? Why was Abel's offering 
acceptable to God, but not Cain? Is it because God did not like vegetables, right? <clears throat> Would he be like rural growing up? No, he doesn't want his greens. Only wants his McDonald's, right? The meat. Why is it Cain's offering was rejected, whereas Abel's was acceptable? Well, I think if we look very carefully in what is said here, the narrative seems to give us a clue. Because the way that it is actually described to us is it says there that Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. But Abel brought the fat portions of some of the firstborn of his flock. It seems like Abel took the best of his flock, the firstborn of his flock. And in those days, uh, the fat portion was like the desirable portion, right? You know, if you don't have any health concerns, uh, what is the best part, you know, of the, 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 the meat? It's like the fatty part, right? I remember when I was young, uh, when I had no concerns about eating fat. You know, when you eat, uh, pork chops, the best part is to get the fat, right? And then to recook it again until it's really nice and, and charred and everything, right? And it's really unhealthy because there's a lot of cancer and, 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 and a lot of fat. But it's really nice, you know, because you chew it and all the juices are all there, right? Well, that's the way God uh, has seen it too, isn't it? He saw that the fat portions of the firstborn was the best of what Abel was able to offer. But it says here that Cain seemed to offer just some of the fruits that he had. It was like a bit of the afterthought, right? I'll just give God some of this fruit that I had. And I think if you look up here in the slide, later on, God would tell his people that when they presented offerings to God, uh, they would be the best, isn't it? The best part. Uh, males and females, uh, sorry, males without defect. And also the, the burnt offering would be um, uh, the best part of the animal. So it seems here like when you read carefully about the offering that that Abel brought and Cain brought, it seemed as if Abel brought the best, whereas Cain just brought something. And I think that in another part of the Bible, it says that this offering reflected the heart of Cain and Abel. Because in Hebrews chapter 4, it says there, by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man because when God spoke well of his offerings, and by faith he still speaks even though he is dead. You see, the offering, uh, God can see through the offering. I mean, even if you bring a good offering towards God, what God is really interested in is, is not the vegetables or the meat because he's going to eat it, right? But it's, it's, it's a reflection of what the heart really stands for. So I think Abel was a person who seemed very serious and was devoted and loving towards God. right? And that was reflected in his offering. But Cain, his relationship with God and his worship seemed like an afterthought. Something that just, uh, you know, as a by and by sort of thing. And we see this reflected in what happens next. Because when Cain's offering was not accepted. What happened? Cain was very angry. His face was very black. Downcast. Black face. This is a Singapore translation. (laughs) Then the Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry? Why is your face so black? 
If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching your door. It desires to have you. But you must rule over it. You see, I remember um, when I was uh, younger, <coughs> we used to always have a dog. Okay, All my life, I always, we always had dogs. And whenever you have a dog, uh, whenever the dog does the wrong thing, you always scold the dog and you teach the dog to do the right thing. And then the dog will usually do the right thing, right? Because the dog is devoted to you, loves you, and is part of the family. But you notice here that when God speaks to Cain, he doesn't scold Cain, right? He doesn't blame Cain and you know give him a big lecture. He just says, look, why are you angry? Just do what is right. right? There's no punishment involved. There's no, uh, you know, because you did this, you know, I'm going to judge you for this. No, he's like, do what is right. So if Cain was really devoted to God, if Cain really loved God and was dedicated to God, the natural thing would be for him to go out to the fields again, get the best of his fruit or his carrots or whatever, and give it to God again and God would accept it. Logical thing to do, right? Reasonable thing to do. God says, you're not up to scratch. You go back and try again, right? But then what does Cain do? Well, Cain doesn't listen to God. Cain instead allows his anger and his envy and his jealousy to lead to murder. Now, one thing we have to notice here is how sin seems to be getting worse and worse. In Adam and Eve, the sin was to become like God, to covet, to be like God, to covet something that they weren't supposed to have. But now we see all sorts of bad, sinful emotions coming to the world. Jealousy, envy, anger, hate, and murder. And you notice something interesting, isn't it? Because in chapter 3, the serpent had to talk Eve into sinning. Here we see God trying to talk Cain out of sinning. But Cain refuses to listen to God. Right? Look at the, the way it's described here, it says, right? If you do not do what is right. Sin is crouching at your door. It's like a predator, like a lion, a tiger, right? It desires to have you. It wants to master you. It wants to rule over you. But you must overcome it, right? You must, you must be bigger than that. You must, you must turn it aside. But you see that Cain doesn't make any effort to, to turn aside from sin at all. He allows sin to rule over him and master him. Sin it's a bit like, you know, um, uh, when you drop some oil or water, it spreads all over the water. And that's what we see here, right? Sin is spreading and sort of multiplying like a big virus in humanity. And we see, it, you know, everything turning upside down now. In, in Genesis chapter 3, we saw the relationship between Eve, Adam, and God being turned upside down, right? It's supposed to be God, Adam, and Eve, and it became Eve, Adam, and God. And then they started fighting among each other, and then uh, God said that, you know, Eve, you will 
you want to desire to, to rule over your, your, your husband, but then the husband will, will rule over you in a harsh way. But here we see a total breakdown in the relationship. Because it says here, right, in verse 8, Now Cain said to his brother Abel, Let's go out to the field. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, Where is your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, Am I my brother's keeper? Now, what is the word that keeps being repeated here? The word be, right? The bro word. The brother word, right? Why does the word brother keep being repeated? Because we know that Abel is the brother of Cain, right? Why does he keep saying he took his brother Abel out, then he killed his brother again? Then God said, where is your brother? And he said, where are my brother's keeper? Because here were two people who were the same blood, same flesh. And the breakdown of the relationship was so bad that actually led to the shedding of blood, to the killing of a brother. You see, in Genesis chapter 3, there was a break in the relationship between man and woman. But there cannot be a greater break in relationship than killing someone. Right? I mean, to kill someone is to totally sever and destroy a relationship totally. Right? It's to, it's to say, we have no relationship. I hate you so much that I kill you. Well, that's how bad sin has become, right? Uh, the breakdown relationship that we see in Genesis 3 becomes worse and worse till we have murder. But what is more worrying is what we see here in verse 9. Because when God questions Abel, how does Abel answer? He says, I don't know. Am I my brother's keeper? Now again, this is very, very worrying, right? Because this is not you or me talking. This is God asking Cain, where is your brother? You see, last week in Genesis chapter 3, when Adam and Eve were asked by God, Hey, did you eat the fruit from the tree of knowledge and evil? They said, uh, well, uh, it's actually the other person's fault, right? But they still admitted that they ate the fruit. Right? Eve said, yeah, no, no, the serpent got me to eat it. And Adam said, oh, no, no, Eve got me to eat it. But they still said, Yes, I ate the fruit, right? But you notice here in this whole narrative, Cain never once expresses remorse or regret or confesses to killing his brother. You notice that, look at the whole narrative. Never once does he say, Oh God, I've sinned. How, what a bad thing I've done. You know, uh, it was, I was so angry, you know, blah, 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 blah. But he, he totally rejects any responsibility. What, you know, am I my brother's keeper? So therefore, God then punishes Cain, right? And here we see that the punishment is actually worse than the punishment that he gave to Adam and Eve. Because he says that the ground for Cain is now under a curse, right? Uh, because you have shed your, your brother's blood, when you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crop for you. You'll be a restless wanderer on the earth. So for Adam, there were thorns and thistles. But for Cain, there is nothing. And here, it will be that, um, that he'll be driven from the land, right? 
And in Cain, what Cain says, look, today you, you'll be driving me from the land, I'll be hidden from your presence. That means that his relationship with God will be completely cut off. God has nothing to do with him anymore. That's why he's hidden from God's presence. But you notice here that, <clears throat> that again, something strange happens uh, because God shows grace even in the midst of judgment. Now, look at what he says here. In verse 15, But the Lord said to him, Not so anyone who kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times over. But the Lord put a mark on Cain, so that no one who found him would kill him. So the Lord went out from the Lord's presence. Right, He left God's presence and lived in the land of Nod, east of Eden. Now, there's a pattern here. In Genesis chapter 3, remember, after he pronounces judgment on Adam and Eve, what did God do for Adam and Eve as a sign of grace? Where did he go? In verse 21, he made them garments of skin and clothed them, right? Before that, you know, they only had these leaves and everything, right? Now, God gave them clothes. But here, we see the same thing happening, right? Cain is judged by God. But God still shows him some grace. He says, look, I'll put a mark on you so that no one will kill you. He will still be allowed to live his natural life. But what happens after that? Well, even with this grace, things seem to get from bad to worse. Because we're now introduced to Cain's children, the next generation. Right? So in verse 17, Cain made love to his wife. And she became pregnant and gave birth to Enoch. Cain was then building a city and he named it after his son Enoch. And to Enoch was born Arad. And Arad was the father of Mehujel. And Mehujel was the father of Methushel. And Methushel was the father of Lamech. Lamech married two women. One named Ada, another Zillah. Ada gave birth to Jabal. And he was the father of those who lived in tents and raised livestock. His brother's name was Jubal. And he was the father of all who played string instruments and pipes. Zila was also, also had a son, Tubal Cain, who forged all kinds of tools out of bronze and iron. Tubal Cain's sister was Lamech. Lamech said to his two wives, Edda and Zila, listen to me, wives of Lamech, hear my words. I've killed a man for wounding me, a young man for injuring me. If Cain is avenged seven times, then Lamech seventy-seven times. Now, if Cain was bad, then it seems like the next generations are worse, isn't it? If we thought Cain was bad, then look at Lamech. Because with Lamech, we see sin having a field day, right? First of all, we see the beginning of polygamy, right? So, Lamech had two wives. He married two women. Now, in the Garden of Eden, remember it was said that a man should leave his, husband, uh, his father and mother and be united with his wife, one flesh. Right? And that was the model that we were given. But now, as Lamech does his own thing, far, far away from God, what does he do? He has two wives. right? He's decided for himself that he's going to do what he wants to do and part of doing what he wants to do is, is to actually have two wives. Polygamy. We see at the same time, there's a lot of technological advancement, right? The cities, 
There's urbanization. People are now using musical instruments and raising livestock and using tools of iron and bronze. But together with that technological advancement comes sin and its effect, isn't it? So here we, we see Lamech. And Lamech uh, gives a poem. Right? Now, unfortunately for us, because we're reading English, we don't really see uh, the striking nature of the poem. You see why? There was a poem earlier on. Right? And what was that po- poem? The poem was actually in chapter 1, verse 27. Right? And what was that uh, poem about in chapter 1, verse 27? Right? It was about how God created mankind in His own image. In the image of God, He created a male and female, He created them. And now, we see another poem, and the poem is so strikingly different, isn't it? Because in that poem in Genesis chapter 1, it was the thing of how God made man in His image. And what a wonderful thing that was. And here we have Lamech, with a a taunting poem, a violent poem, of how, you know, he kills people for wounding him, and a young person for injuring him. And the taunt here is actually filled with egotistical boasting, right? You notice the word there, I. I killed, right, for wounding me. Listen to me, my wives, right? Listen to my words, he, this Lamech is a very proud man, a proud egotistical man, a proud egotistical violent man. And here, you know, when it says there, if Cain is avenged 77 times, Lamech is 77 times, he's mocking God. Right? Because earlier on, God said anybody comes and kills Cain will suffer vengeance seven times. And here, Lamech is saying, hey, I don't need God to avenge me. I can avenge myself 77 times. Right? So this is the picture of, of humanity falling deeper and deeper into sin, right? Pride, egotistical, violent. It's like, when you read this, you sort of think, well, why did, why did Lamech have to kill someone for wounding him? Right? What sort of wound did he receive? Did someone just have a staring incident right, with Lamech? Is that why he killed that person? Is it because someone bumped into him when he was walking around? So here we see that if Cain succumbed to sin, then Lamech exalts in sin. Right? He, he exalts in his sinful nature. If Cain would not admit to his sin or be remorseful about sin, Lamech here boasts about his sin. And here we see what sin has become. How sin has come into the world and is getting worse and worse and worse. And we ask ourselves, what is God going to do about it? And the chapter ends in a very strange way, right? Because in verse 25, in the midst of all this violence, It says, Adam made love to his wife again, and she gave birth to a son, and she named him Seth, saying, God has granted me another child in place of Abel. Since Cain killed him, and Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. On that time, people began to call on the name of the Lord. Now this ending here is very interesting, isn't it? First of all, it seems as if even in the midst 
of all this violence and sin in the world. But yet people are starting to call on God again, to, to turn back to God. So the world, yes, is going down the toilet or the drain, but there's still, a, there's still people who are calling on God and wanting to, to, to worship Him. At the same time, we're told about another line which replaces the line of Abel, the person of Seth. Now, I think the deep implication of this, uh, most importantly, comes in Luke chapter 3, right? So turn with me to Luke chapter 3. This is very important. So you need to turn your Bibles or your handphones or whatever to Luke chapter 3. Turn with me to Luke chapter 3, verse 23, right? <clears throat> I don't hear paper flipping. Oh, you must have all computers. Eh? So, Luke chapter 23. Oh, sorry, uh, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Talks about Jesus, right? Oh, sorry. Uh, wait for Erica. Okay, Luke chapter 3, verse 23. Okay? Maybe I should get you all to read it or something. Okay, no yeah. It's a genealogy about Jesus, right? And the genealogy starts with Joseph and all these people. Then it goes down, 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 down. Then it goes to verse 37, right? Then, who do you see? In verse 38, the son of Enosh, the son of, hey, that guy, Seth, and the son of Adam, the son of God. Right? So this is, this is actually a sign that what God did in Genesis chapter 4 was to create another line, another line of people who would lead to Jesus, who would be the undoing of the sin of the world. right? And that's why uh, in 1 John chapter 1 verse 5, oops, we already had that right. Oh, not this one. Okay, this one, right? Okay. It tells us, that if we walk in the light, right, Jesus in the light, and we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. See, I think this is a very important point, because as we see sin growing and growing and growing to violence, to murder, then we can be filled with great despair, right? Man, the world is going down the toilet. What's going to happen now? But then, if we come to the New Testament, we see that God has the answer for the problem of sin. For the sin, which is like the weeds of the garden, which is growing in us, right? And the answer is in Jesus Christ, because Jesus comes to deal with the problem of sin, the worldwide problem of sin, and purifies us from our sin. So as we look here today, we see the beginning of violence and murder in the world. I was reading some books recently about how, you know, there's this uh, argument out in the world today, which you may be aware of, where there are many atheists and secular people who blame religion for violence. They say, oh, you know, if only people were not religious, then we wouldn't have violence in this world because all the wars and everything are, are because people are religious. Right? But actually, when we look at this passage, it is not religion that is to blame. It is the sin in mankind. You could always argue that Cain killed Abel 
in the first act of religious violence, right? You know, because his offering was not was not acceptable, so he got jealous, so he killed he killed his brother Abel, right? That was religious violence. But was it religion that was to blame? It wasn't religion that was to blame, it was the sin in Cain that was to blame. You know, violence and murder have always been part and parcel of humanity. I was reading in this book that the oldest city that has ever been discovered has a wall built around the city. And the wall is not to keep out animals, but it's to keep out other humans. Right from the earliest beginning of civilization, mankind was killing one another. You don't need religion for that. You don't need uh, God for that. Man is perfectly capable of killing one another without religion. The problem is, sin has come into the world, sin is in us, and it leads to violence and murder. That's just the way it is. You know, I was reading this book that, you know, people say, oh, you know, religion, like the Crusades, Inquisition, and the witch burning. Ah, I see, those are signs of religion leading to murder and violence. And this person estimated that actually the Crusades, the Inquisition, and the witch burning, they estimated that only 300,000 people died. But when you put together the murders of Mao, Stalin, Pol Pot, and Hitler, that's 100 million people. Right? 100 million people. And Mao, Stalin, Pol Pot, and Hitler, these people didn't know God. They didn't know God. They were able to kill, not because of religion, but because they were sinful men who didn't want to obey God. There's this guy, Dostoevsky. Uh, I don't know if I pronounce it right. He's a very famous writer who lived in Russia. And he wrote, if God is not, then everything is permitted. I think that's true. Without the knowledge of God, it allows us to kill and to murder with impunity because we are nothing but molecules, right? Erica is just a bunch of molecules. Cheryl is just a bunch of molecules. If we get rid of that molecule, what is the big deal, right? But God tells us that actually we are all brothers and sisters. We all share the same blood. When we kill one another, we are like Cain and Abel. But that's not going to solve the problem of sin and murder and violence in our world. Only the coming of Jesus can. Because sin is so embedded in us, and violence and murder is so embedded in us, that unless God sends His own Son, Jesus, He will not break that cycle for us. So I think that as we look at this passage, we need to look with humility and humbleness at our fallen nature. I think the world is overconfident and very proud of its progress and its technology. And it thinks that just because it's got an Apple iPhone or you know it's got a fast computer or better car, that it's morally superior than it was in the past. But actually, all we are capable of is building a better gun to shoot one another. We're not morally any better than the people in the past. What we need to know is, it is only by coming back to God and turning to Jesus that we are truly able to overcome sin and the violence and murder in this world.